a factual data creation facility production. Welcome to the Straight From The Desk podcast, a podcast where I discuss but three things. Two are topical, while the last can be considered as flexible. So sit back and enjoy. If you like what you hear, click on that donation link, which can be found within the show notes. Any donation will be appreciated. So let's get started. How are you doing today? Before I get started, I need to correct something I stated during the last episode. I said that the district attorney that was going to indict former President Trump, one Alvin Bragg, is an elected district attorney for the state of New York who ran and was elected as a member of the Democratic Party. While the elected part and political affiliations are correct, Mr. Bragg was elected as the city of New York district attorney, not the state of New York. I apologize if you were misled. First up. Well, I guess I'll address the elephant in the room, which is former President Trump being indicted on 34, count them, 34, separate supposed felony charges. Most of the talking heads, the legal experts you see all over the media, are of the opinion that the case against the former president is weak. I did hear an opinion from a source I can't recall at the moment, which said that the high number of so-called felony charges against Trump are no accident. Even if the jury picked is truly partial and intelligent, at least one of those charges might result in a conviction. That's why I believe that President Trump's legal team will do all it can to get this case thrown out before it reaches trial. If his legal team can't do that, then they will try and have the venue changed and to justify that move by rightfully asserting that their client would be unable to get a fair trial within the city of New York. Mr. Bragg, an odious Soros organization appointee, while campaigning for election, stated he would, quote, get Trump, unquote, and the judge assigned to the case, if it does indeed go to trial, has ties via donations to the Democratic Party and made donations to the Biden campaign, as well as an organization named Stop Republicans. Both donations were made during the 2020 and 2022 election cycles. Well, that doesn't sound impartial to me, does it to you? Another thing that has come to light during this manufactured drama is the either misunderstanding or wishful thinking of two top members of the Democratic Party who both happen to be Caucasian women. Of course, I'm talking about the current inebriated fossil and former Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, and the Fox Native American, Elizabeth Warren, who used her false claim of indigenous ancestry for free rides through college and affirmative action employment hires that could have and should have been given to authentic indigenous and underrepresented people. You know, why is it that white women seem to be the ones that most often assume the racial identity of various underrepresented groups? Well, that subject is for a later time. Anyway, both Pelosi and Warren gave statements about the Trump indictments, which agreed that the former president, now listen closely, will have a chance to, quote, prove his innocence, unquote. Well, you and I know that in the United States, anyway, the defendant does not have to prove his innocence according to the law. The state has the burden to prove that the defendant is guilty. 
Now, just take a second and ponder that chance to prove his innocence statement. These two powerful members of government either don't know or don't care about, well, perhaps both, one of the bedrocks of this country's law. Lord help us. At least the Trump supporters didn't take the bait to hold violent demonstrations as the leftists in the mainstream media thought and hoped they would. It would be best to sit back and see how this all turns out. Next, Elon Musk owned Twitter caused a leftist elite meltdown this week by labeling, correctly in my opinion, National Public Radio, a.k.a. NPR, as a United States government-affiliated media entity, akin to something like Russia's RT and Germany's Deutsche Welle, etc. The leftists, and I'm using the term leftist liberally here, pun very much intended, because every article I've read or heard on the subject from the mainstream media refers to any news organization that agrees with this labeling as, quote, right-wing, unquote. So as my late, recently departed mother would say, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Now, NPR is only partially funded by U.S. taxpayers these days. Most of the organization's operating budget is provided by grants from big businesses, you know, Pfizer and the like. I haven't watched or listened to anything produced by NPR, except excerpts from shows criticizing them, so I'm not sure from whom NPR is currently bought and paid for by these days. Back in the late 1980s, early 1990s time frame, NPR was my go-to news programming in my car during my commutes to and from work, and I enjoyed many of their weekend shows on my home audio setup. Over the years, I, as well as many others, I'm sure, have noticed a shift to the hard left, dare I say, a much more socialist outlook in NPR's reporting and entertainment. I abandoned NPR right after the 9-11 terrorist attacks and have never looked back. I'll bet you nowadays the communist-leaning Ivy League-educated diversity hires that helm the so-called news desks over at NPR will not refer to the events that occurred on September 11, 2001 as terrorist attacks, but they will refer to the riots of January 6, 2021 as an insurrection. Even though the only people who were armed during this insurrection were the government forces, and the only ones who lost their lives were those among the insurrectionists themselves. Yet NPR and most mainstream media continue perpetuating this lie, joining one of the many buzzwords and phrases which are designed to appeal to a public full of apparently big-tech-engineered short-term attention spans. What's the goal here? Well, control, of course. Some sort of government-slash-international-corporation hybrid, as I've been railing about for a while now. Now, here's the joke, and I'm sure that if you're listening to this, you can probably guess what it is. If a communist takeover of the United States, which NPR and others in the media seem to be rooting for, actually does occur, the hacks at NPR and their compatriots in the news media, together with the pincushion-face-pierced, rainbow-haired educators who I assume are NPR's greatest fans, with their elite college millionaire Marxist professors, along with their trans allies, will be among the first to be lined up against the proverbial wall because they will be perceived as the greatest threat to whatever the Communist Party decides to call itself at the time. Ha ha, the joke will be on these wannabe revolutionaries. For a deconstruction of the latest NPR reports on current events, I recommend listening to last Sunday's episode of the No Agenda podcast 
which was episode 1543, titled Buffalo Feathers. Listen to the first hour and a half for the show's entire take on the Trump indictments, or start at the 52-minute mark for the NPR section. Finally, it appears that the hot new job title in media and government is Misinformation. Either misinformation journalists for media sakes, or a misinformation specialist for the government or, I guess, social media platforms. Uh, Who am I kidding? Those platforms and the government are all the same thing. Now, I know this next part will probably come off the wrong way, but, well, here we go. Most of the people who fill these newly created positions in misinformation have things in common, even in the international misinformation positions. The first thing in common is they are usually overeducated. The second thing in common is they are all Caucasians. The third thing they share is they are mostly from North America. Again, even the international appointees to these positions have these commonalities. And finally, the overwhelming gender of misinformation experts is female. So to bring it all home to you, the standard misinformation worker possesses an expensive college degree and is more than likely to be a white female from either Canada or the United States. Now, I don't know why this is, but my guess would be that the huge college loan, which was used to get a nothing degree, has to be paid back in some way. So this new misinformation category was created, which goes to prove the effectiveness of that sheepskin. My question is, though, who gets to decide what constitutes misinformation or the fallback classification of disinformation that these journalists and specialists will be reporting on and supposedly combating? In case you haven't figured this part out yet, I'll tell you the answer to my own question. Survey says the ruling party of the country will decide how to classify information. If the info is against the current narrative or agenda, well, that's disinformation. If the particular info asks questions about or comes to a different conclusion than the current official narrative or agenda, well, it's pretty obvious that would be misinformation. See how easy that was? Western civilization is entering a very dangerous phase. We cannot define what a woman is, but we can define what's mis- or disinformation. Government agencies have been politicized along with the justice system, and I can only imagine what has been done to the military. At my age, all I can do is sit back and use my vote, if that even means anything these days, and bloviate into a microphone, uh, at least for now. I'll do it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. You can send comments, suggestions, or complaints to sftdpod23 at gmail.com. Hey, and if you celebrate it, hope you have or had a great Easter Sunday. Take care. I'll see you next time. Thank you.